Welcome to Season 4 of the L&T Chat Show, and to start the new year off, we have a double bill. If you enjoy this or any of the episodes, please review, like and share. And if you'd like to participate in the show, then contact me using the email address in the episode description. For now, enjoy the show. Welcome to the L&T Chat Show, and today my guest is Anthony Basil. Anthony, would you like to tell the listeners something about yourself? Sure. Thank you very much, Roger. Um, my name is uh, Dr. Anthony Basil, and I'm a lecturer over at Bournemouth University um, in the School of Computing Science. Um, my uh, area um, of uh, teaching is around uh, human-computer interaction and user experience design. Um, but um, my my doctorate is actually in uh, pedagogy for um, e-learning. And uh, so this is a bit of a passion that I have, uh, how we can design um, the kind of thing we're doing right now, actually, um, uh, you know, having an opportunity for people to share and learn um, using uh, distance learning or, or blended learning solutions. So um, um, what I'd like to do is chat with you a little bit about um, a, a model that I'm working on, which I call 360 webinar design. How does that sound? No, that that sounds excellent. I, I am wondering before we get into the, the detail of that, is there a pathway that led you to uh, th that particular area? I mean, to, to sort of decide to do a PhD, it, it, even just in pedagogy, but in a specific area of pedagogy, you know, was there was there something that, how, that pushed how, you in a, that direction? It's, it's a it's about a half an hour recording. It is indeed. Yes. Okay. Okay. So so I can give you a little context then um, for your editing. So um, Roger, I can tell you a little bit about my background. Um, I've been involved with education uh, my whole life, basically uh, um, in America. Um, I was primary school uh, teacher. Uh, I found that the kids responded better in the computing lab than they did in the classroom. So for me, I thought, well, what's the future of learning going to be? And technology was definitely going to be part of that. So I came over uh, to England to do my master's degree uh, uh, with uh, interactive computing systems uh, at Middlesex University in North London. And they kept me on to stay and do my doctorate, which uh, at the time I was looking at two areas. One was uh, uh, um, virtual uh, uh, reality and uh, that type of environment. And then the, the second was uh, webinar design. Um, during that time in the, in the, the mid uh, late 90s, Virtual reality was uh, was um, just really starting to kick off, and I I felt that uh, I would have more uh, success with exploring webinar design, and so that's where my current research is focusing. How can we take a blend of pedagogy and technology to create a learning opportunity which is going to support creativity? and innovation. So um, I was asked a few uh, years ago uh, to contribute to a book uh, called The University of the Future. Um, you're, you're welcome to look at my website, 
which is https colon slash slash a basil a b a s i e l dot u k and on the website you'll see a number of different papers i've published and projects that i've been working on uh and in particular a book chapter uh, for the university of the future now in that chapter i outline uh, how higher education could be changing in the next few decades. The shift from uh, the current model, which is focused uh, uh, very much on specific learning outcomes and being able to evidence that you have abstract knowledge and certain particular subject specific skills, uh, the, there's going to be a shift. Higher education in the future is going to be focused more on softer skills and problem solving. And so this got me thinking, we need to have an, an environment that's going to promote creativity and innovation. Um, earlier we were chatting and you mentioned about COVID-19 and how that made a paradigm shift in uh, a number of different uh, uh, organizations and sectors in terms of uh, using podcasts like we're doing right now or webinars as a default. And this is a, a perfect follow-up then because my interest is taking that two-dimensional webinar, that flat screen perspective, and how can we make it more immersive? How can we get people to feel that they are actually in the space with other people. And part of the shift on this is making the transition from this uh, kind of um, uh, transmission uh, of, of my speaking one way to people to being much more uh, interactive and using the Socratic discussion circle model. So now in a Socratic discussion, people aren't sitting in rows like in a lecture hall in the university. They are sitting in a circle and they are addressing an open-ended problem. So there's not one specific solution. There's not one way that is the only right way to address that. And using this type of Socratic discussion circle promotes creativity. It promotes innovation. People have the opportunity to uh, brainstorm and think out loud. They can, they can just say something that's a bit crazy that might actually take that discussion down a path that you weren't expecting. So through a Socratic discussion circle, you're able to get, say, a group of these uh, experts, we'll call them, sitting in that circle and 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 trying to come up with uh, different ways, different approaches to address that issue. Now, the innovation of of this is now how can we get uh, the technology to promote this immersive experience? And so, what I've done is I've taken augmented reality 360 cameras and pop that into the center of that circle. 
So now when you're doing the webinar or you're making the recording of that circle discussion, you're not on the outside looking in, you're on the inside looking out. So with that recording, you have the ability to click on the image and turn and get the perspective. You can see any place in the room and look at the, the expressions of people, you know, see their body language, you know, hear them responding to statements and questions. So by having that 360 camera in the middle, we've now taken that Socratic discussion model and made it into an immersive webinar design. So, so the, the circle yep. you're describing though is, because again, sort of my experience of webinars um, and in fact, my experience of, of trying to teach online during during the pandemic, one of the biggest drawbacks for me was um, I like to use a lot of actual physical materials um, mm -hmm. for, for people, which clearly you can take to a classroom and uh, the students can interact with and then you, you take them away. And, and that wasn't uh, available to me when we we're interacting with students. They didn't like to put their cameras on. Uh, they weren't that keen on turning their microphones on, to be honest. And so much of the discussion was taking part um, in in the chat bar. So for the thing that you're describing, is there a physical room in which there are people sitting around or are you thinking about something which is on a screen as we're doing it now? And if, we, if we're on a screen, uh, is everybody in shot in video? Can, can you sort of sure, can you sure, clarify sure. that? So, so what I've described so far um is in a physical room right so what you've got is you've got uh the people sitting in chairs in a room uh all together in person uh with that camera in the center but there's now another circle around that inner circle of experts and this would be the audience listening to this group of experts right okay so again instead of um like a uh in a in a um a lecture you might have some people sitting up on the stage in 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 a straight line and the audience in a straight line you know sitting away from them and there's that sense of of separation yeah instead what we're doing is referred to as a fishbowl discussion. Now, a fishbowl discussion means that that circle of in-person um, audience can ask a question of the experts in the center, but they don't just ask the question. What they do is they physically swap seats. So that way, the people that are in the audience in the in that outer circle have the opportunity to go into that center and change their perspective. So this is a, a key part of this immersive experience is to be able to get that uh, sense of what it's like from the expert's perspective in the middle. And so this is the physical design for a Socratic discussion using the inner circle of experts, the outer circle of the audience, and using the fishbowl to swap. You've asked a very good question. Is there an 
audience or is there a virtual participation? Okay, and the answer is yes, there is. How do we do that? Well, outside of that ring of the audience is a digital video camera. And that is another camera that's being used that gives that, <clears throat> that over-the-shoulder view of the stakeholders, the participants in their dialogue. So we have the inner uh, camera in the center of the circle, giving us that inside looking out perspective. And then we have that other digital camera, which is operated by a, a camera person that can zoom in when people ask a question and to be able to give perspective um, from the outside looking in. So where does the virtual audience come in? Well, along with having the people sitting in that circle, we also have a large monitor or TV screen in that center circle as well. And just like with any video conference, you can have external people in with the face-to-face -face people. And we'll have a facilitator that will be monitoring that and looking at, looking at that. And as you mentioned, you know, we'll have a text chat going on. So while the people are having their discussion, a side text discussion is happening. And just like we had with the physical audience in the fishbowl circle, having the ability to step in and swap seats with the expert in the middle, we can also do that with the virtual audience. And so someone may put in the text chat, you know, I have a question I'd like to, to comment. The facilitator who's looking after that would jump in and say to the host, who's kind of coordinating uh, the, the physical face-to-face -face discussion and say, we have a, a, a someone online that we'd like to have, you know, join us. And their full image then takes on the TV as if they're a full-size person sitting in the circle. Right. And in this way, we can get the virtual audience to step in and do a, a fishbowl swap and ask their questions and say that you know their comments as well but again we've got that center augmented reality camera which is capturing the virtual audience participants as well as the physical ones so this is a um a way that what we're trying to experiment with in using the socratic discussion because it's it's not a, a linear sequence of a narrative where you're going from the the beginning to the middle to the end. Yeah. In, instead, it's it's open and it's promoting this creativity and encouraging this innovation to be able to look at issues that uh, uh, for for really any uh, this is a transdiscipline model. So uh, we've been experimenting with it um, in healthcare uh, where. Uh, we would have uh, the um, uh, healthcare practitioners using um, a virtual simulation. And then when they go and do the debriefing, they sit in that circle and 
walk through their experiences and lessons learned, you know, how would they have uh, done that simulation of a, you know, critical uh, healthcare incident differently and capturing uh, the discussion on that. Uh, but it can be used in, in a number of different areas. We, we've been exploring using it for uh, performing arts, for example, and uh, having uh, musicians and songwriters sitting in the circle. Right. And they start playing some music, and then the, the um, uh, songwriter jumps in with some, some lyrics for it, and and then it and it evolves. You know, the song becomes uh, a living kind of organic thing using this uh, uh, this Socratic discussion model with the three hundred and sixty camera. And and is there an optimum number for the the sort of experts in the middle and the the people who are physically present in in the outer circle? Um, well, that's an interesting question as well, because uh, uh, the the limitation is really going to 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 come down to the, uh, the 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 physical confines of the space itself. So uh, if if you had um, say just a small classroom that would you know only be able to to host um, say about fifty people. Um, you know, you would have in the inner circle maybe a handful of the experts and then, you know, the 50 people sitting in the circle around physically outside. But there's no limit on the virtual audience. You know, that mm. could be that could be dozens to hundreds of participants um, in 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 the online space depending upon the limitations of the technology. And also, this is a, a new skill. This is a new job description is going to be webinar host and facilitators. So what you're doing right now as a podcast host and facilitator is a new kind of um, presenter. And in the future, with our 360 immersive webinar design, we're going to be developing people with skills and capabilities to help facilitate this many audience to many physical uh, discussion members as well. Now, here's oh, sorry, go ahead. Go go ahead. I, I was going to say you described the idea of somebody in the outer circle. So uh, let's just call them the audience as opposed to the, the experts, but they're the, the mm -hmm. sort of people who are physically present. Um, potentially being able to swap places with one of the experts. Is that done purely while they are contributing wherever they wanted to contribute and then they swap back? Because um, because I, I imagine if enough people sort of got excited by the idea that you might eventually have a point where actually all the experts were sat on the outside and, and the inside was then people who had been on the outside. But but uh, so is there is there a process by which that works? It, it's it's very free flow. Uh, Roger, because uh, uh, it's not a prescriptive model at all. Um, it, it, it's intended to be uh, organic and dynamic. So, so just as as with the um, Socratic discussion, it doesn't have a a fixed um, narrative. Uh, the same is true for the fishbowl. So, so it's possible that that expert would then counter to the person asking the question and they would swap back 
Okay. But you're right. It is I'm, possible that the experts, you know, end up on the outside, and then we've I'm, got I'm, a new new group of experts. Inside. Yeah, because I'm I'm thinking about the potential for this because one of the issues I I guess might be if you're in a, a context where and and this is primarily how I teach where at best you might be able to get uh, two say marketing lecturers in in the room together. It, it would be more difficult to get. A, a larger team involved that actually you could work it whereby the experts and I'm doing bunny ears here would actually be the students who on that particular week had been asked to go away and do some specific reading around a topic so that they were Absolutely. the experts in the sense that they'd had to do that reading and then and then they, that it was their opportunity to disseminate with uh, you know the rest of the students but that that would then mean that any other students who might have done their own reading or just who had an idea or an opinion that they wanted to share could could then kind of swap in and out. I, I'm also wondering whether is there an you know you've mentioned that it could be multidisciplinary, so it can it can work in lots of different uh, disciplines. Is there um, we've talked about physical environment? Is there is there an optimum time for this? Is this something which needs a certain amount of time in order to work? Um, well, it, I think that that's that would probably be related to uh, the the nature of of the problem that's being addressed. Um, uh, so, you know, with a with a, a, a Socratic uh, discussion model, um, you um, uh, are going to be um, uh, uh, um, starting at a macro level, at, at looking at the issues and then refining down to more specific uh, uh, elements of this. Now, um, uh, have you heard of a, of a fishbone methodology for uh, analysis? Fishbone? Uh, I, it's not something that's immediately springing to my mind. It might be one of the many things that as a, uh, an educational magpie I have looked at, but it it doesn't it doesn't sort of throw up any any particular okay. thought. But you're but you're familiar with mind maps, for example. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So like a mind map is 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 um, like uh, the Socratic discussion um, in a in a um, uh, a kind of uh, uh, initial stage. You know, it, 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 anything can be said. Anything's possible. You know, the ideas are thrown out. You know, we, we start with with a, a problem statement or an issue that needs to be addressed. And and, um, and again, uh, it, you know, it depends on the discipline. You know, it might be a, a, a social ethical issue that you're debating um, or uh, it might be a, a scientific a mechanical engineering problem. It doesn't matter. You're you're starting at that kind of macro level, that kind of um, mind map, or if or if you're into computing science, there's soft systems methodology, which is uh, from Peter Checklin, and in that approach, they use what they call rich pictures. All right, which then take all these various elements that you're looking at, whether they're physical uh, components of the system or whether they're people, you know, the actors that are involved or certain types of technology. You take all those different bits and then you start to categorize and group them. Now in the fishbone uh, methodology, uh, and unfortunately I don't remember the, uh, 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 the um, originator's um, name at, at the moment, 
But uh, if you do a, a search for fishbone methodology, you'll see here you start with the problem statement and then you branch off from that into listing certain categories. So as I mentioned, you know, you might be saying, well, what technology is involved? What people are involved? And that is a tool that can be used to as the, the host or the facilitator for the um, discussion uh, into, the, into that second stage. So then what you're doing is you're visualizing and uh, categorizing the very components that you're talking about to help go towards uh, uh, different solutions for, for that discussion. So yeah, I, yeah I, I think I have come across it on a continuous improvement. Now, now that you've said that, and I can see in in my head the picture of something which literally looked like a it looks like the skeleton of a fish because it's got a it's got a spine and then you know all the uh, all the individual bones coming off. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so I'm thinking you mentioned the sort of because I I. The, the term 360 I've heard applied in in many different uh, con contexts, but you are talking specifically about a piece of technology that literally provides um, a 360 scope. So that technology is it is it expensive? Is it the kind of thing that you know universities might be encouraged to invest in? The the nature of using this Socratic uh, discussion circle is that something which you know, from your experience, is it used on a regular basis on, on particular modules or is this something that you would use for just very specific elements? Um, well, uh, uh, you, there's, there's two parts to your question. The first part is about the, the pedagogic design and use of, of the discussion circle. Um, and um, and then the second part, the, the, the technology for the augmented reality 360 uh, recording and, and, and webinars. So from a, um, a, an instructional design, from a learning design, um, I would say that uh, it, my experience is that it's, it's fairly um, unusual or fairly rare to have um, um, a circle, physical circle discussion um, uh, uh, occasionally you might have a U-shaped discussion, um, but generally speaking, I think the physical layout of, of rooms, um, and it, and it, it doesn't have to be a, a huge lecture hall of, you know, hundreds of people, even a small room, if you're talking about 20 people tend to be in rows with mm. the, with that trans, trans, uh, traditional, um, transmission model, I would call it, you know, where you have the sage on the stage talking at the students. Now, there might be interaction with questions and answer, but again, you're, you're, you're looking at the, the, uh, the dynamic and um, the, there's the, uh, that um, uh, sense that the, the lecture is in a superior position to the students. And what we're trying to do is promote through this circle design, a more of a sense of equality and, and participation. And, and when I went up with my teaching, I often set up the room as a circle. And, uh, and, and so I'm not sitting in the middle, but I'm sitting as part of the circle. And so uh, we do a lot of peer review. 
So the students will give samples of what they're working on and uh, um, and I will encourage the other students to put their comments in. And a lot of times, uh, especially with uh, technology, with computing lessons, um, the students are picking up the newest tech and then, you know, especially with artificial intelligence now, you know, the, the newest system which can address that issue. And, and having that circle discussion promotes them. And what I do is even though we're in a face-to-face -face class, we all log into Teams and up on the screen, I have on the TV screen, the Teams text chat. Right. And so we might have a couple people um, at home for some reason if they're if they're ill or uh, we have some apprentices that we're working with and so they can't physically come in. Um, and we get we get people, even though they can say it out loud, they will post in the text chat web links to the resources that they're talking yeah. about and they find. And that's fantastic because that adds to their bibliography of the resources to write up for their essays or their reports. Well, I'm, I'm guessing also that perhaps some of the people um, in the circle might feel more comfortable uh, kind of putting a, a text comment in the chat bar than they would necessarily in, in speak out loud for you know a variety of different reasons. So yeah. um, it's it's also increasing inclusiveness in, in that sense. I, I, I love this idea of the circle. And I can see, absolutely see how that is working. Is there stuff that you need to do as the lecturer to help the students in order to prepare for that kind of setting to make sure that, you know, you get the most out of um, that kind of uh, dialogue and exchange? Well, it, 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 it's something that they're not all used to. So so definitely the more often that you use a Socratic discussion circle, the 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 um, the better the students will build their confidence. And this is a big part of it is is having them feel confident to be respected, to be um, contributors, you know, uh, proactive contributors to to the the, the discourse and the dialogue. Um, um, uh, I, I would I, I would say that. Um, when you're using this type of model, um, you, 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 you want to um, um, be clear about your epistemology. You know, what is your view of knowledge? What is your um, understanding? Um, because if we are talking about a, a procedural knowledge, all right, something which is is going to be um, um, uh, the the five steps that you need to follow um, to use a fire extinguisher to uh, uh, put out a, a fire in the kitchen. All right, um, and and these five steps are sequential and and they are are. Um, uh, uh, you know, pretty established and pretty, pretty uh, clear that that's what you need to do. Then, then having a, a, a circle discussion of that format really it may not necessarily be the, you know, the, 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 the design for the interaction that you want. Um, however, if you were to say, 
um, in the beginning, um, I'm going to go through and, and show you these five steps for this procedure. OK, and then we'll do a quiz and, and everybody knows the five steps and they know how to, to do it. That's fine. But then you might say, let's be creative. Let's let's try to see if we can come up with an innovation. Is there a better way than these five steps to do this procedure? Is there maybe a way that we can get it done in four steps or three steps hmm. and and make it more efficient? Um, so this is something that that you might want to 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 consider. You know, it, it it's not necessarily in in isolation the Socratic discussion circle. It's going to be much much more effective for these kind of open ended uh, problem solving uh, scenarios where you you know you you don't have one fixed solution. That that's been really interesting. I, I'm conscious of of time moving on. We will make sure that. Um, the the links to the website and all the publications are in the episode description. Um, but there, I just there was one. To... Yeah, there was one last question that you had about the technology. I can just give you a minute on that. Yeah. No. Sorry. Yes. Go on. Okay. Be because you'd asked um, also, uh, Roger, about the 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 uh, the the actual equipment to do the 360 recording, um, and it has evolved over the decades so much. And and when the 360 um, uh, uh, cameras originally uh, were designed, um, it was a huge effort to be able to um, take the various images and then uh, uh, you'd have to go through and stitch the different bits together. And, uh, and the software and the processing the capability of the computers at the time, um, you know, really made it very cumbersome and, and uh, uh, the time consuming and uh, uh, real expertise. Now it's amazing. You can get um, uh, 360 cameras uh, for just a couple hundred pounds. Um, I was uh, presenting for a conference in Japan uh, through a webinar, and I was talking about uh, this project that, that we were doing with uh, our healthcare students. Um, using the 360 camera. And I didn't want to just be a flat 2D um, image for them. So I actually set up the 360 camera um, uh, in the room and had some other uh, uh, participants um, sitting in the room with me. So this way, the people that were in Japan were able to see, um, in, in, th in this case, it was a, a 180 degree um, a video of myself, the, the screen with the, the presentation, and then the people sitting around. And so we, we used it, not just talked about it, you know, in, in the webinar. And that, and that camera was just a couple hundred pounds. For the full project, though, we used an Insta360 camera, um, which is a, a ball size uh, camera, yeah. um, which is absolutely amazing technology, um, uh, which is 4,000 pounds. <laughs> so that's that's the high end of the scale. But that allows you to use it as a as a, a, a camera for the the uh, webinar video. It it, it re makes the recording so that you can uh, click on it and drag it and see see the recording from any perspective. Um, and you know, so that's the that's the full 
full range uh, of the technology if you want to go that way. Excellent. Uh, well, as I said, uh, we'll make sure that the link to your website and the publications is in the episode description uh, for anyone who wants to go and, and have a little, uh, you know, look in more detail at the, the work that you've been doing and uh, some of the outputs. Uh, but for the moment, uh, Anthony, thank you so much for your time today. Roger, thank you. It's a pleasure meeting you. And I look forward to, to seeing uh, uh, you in the future and uh, maybe collaborating on some other projects. Brilliant. Thank you very much.